you know, Hemingway stilled the demons with booze and I still it with the Gut Check Podcast. And now, live, and by that we mean recorded in advance, from Gut Check World Headquarters in the capital city of a boxing love-shaped state, it's the Gut Check Podcast with your hosts, Ted Clark and Zach Barnes. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. We are on the road again, Zach. Uh, this is a, a concept that we have tried and... Quite frankly, I'm just going to be honest, failed miserably at uh, the two other times that we've tried to do it, and that is the remote kind of roving show. I think part of the problem last time was that I had tried to rig up something a little bit too complicated, a little too complex. wasn't it? Yeah. Essentially, right now what we're doing is I have a a regular, like, vocal mic left over from my days with a a Christian rock band at my Christian college in the mid-90s. You make it sound so glamorous. (laughs) And and I'm and I'm kind of moving it back and forth between being pointed at me and being pointed at Ted. Kind of old school interview uh, style. I like it. Which is good because it sort of helps take your your attention off the road. Right. Yeah. And and that's what we're shooting for. But but last time I wanted to avoid that, and so what I did is I got a splitter, mm-hmm. the headphone splitter. Yeah. What's that? What's that indicate? That that ding indicates that our fuel level is low. Oh. Audience will be stopping for gas, and uh, you'll lose us for a minute, and then we'll come back. If you want snacks, let us know what you want. Exactly. Uh, but anyway, last time I tried to hook up with the splitter, and I had this microphone coming out of it on one end, uh-huh. and then I had a, a lavalier mic from, from my current days as a preacher. Yeah, that's right. And I had it, uh, how did I have that attached to, uh, how did I have that attached to you? You uh, had it kind of lashed to my lapel with a uh, standard, not a not quite a paper clip. Binder clip. It was a binder clip. It was one of those... Yeah, kind of heavy duty ones. The black plastic. The black plastic, and it was it was uh, it was fastened to my lapel with that. And ironically, all the sound that we recorded came from that. And by my lapel, I mean like a wadded up piece of t-shirt underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're just doing it like this, which is more inconvenient, but you'll be able to understand. And Ted, where are we going? Uh, baby, we are going to Timothy's Fine Tobaccos. Uh, it's kind of gut check uh, east, if you will. This is a uh, our office away from the office in that uh, it's the best smoke shop that uh, you and I have ever been a part of. And uh, our good friend Tim is the proprietor there and the tobacconist, and uh, he always takes great care of us. So we're, uh, we're excited to go to Tim's. We're excited to shop for some uh, antiques, as we always do in, uh, in Bay City. And uh, it's going to be a great day, baby. <laughs> we, got, we got any? Oh, wait, wait, did you? Yeah. Oh, I got stuff. I, I just I thought you were going <laughs> to. <laughs> what made you think that? The fact that I moved the mic over here? <laughs> you, moved the, you moved the mic over to in front of your face and then proceeded and to say... And you, <laughs> and you opened your mouth and, and nothing came out. Oh, man. It was just, there was a was, lot of anticipation on this side of the car. I was lost in thought, Ted. Yeah. Um, you know what? I say we jump... Lost in love. We jump to the, uh, the, the energy yeah. drink review. Let's review this drink, Zach. We, what we've got here is... Uh, a product called uh, Mountain Dew Dew Shine, and uh, it's talk about this. Okay. Well, uh, I think we need to just the elephant in the room. It's got the word. It's got the word Dew Shine in it. Yeah, we need to talk about the etymology of the of the of the brand Dew Shine. It does have the word douche in it, which seems like short sightedness on the part of PepsiCo. Yeah, it really does. I feel like this could have been thought through a little bit more. I.e., they could have said it out loud. <laughs> hey, Bob. 
I don't know if anyone notices, but when you actually pronounce Dushine, yeah, right. One of those, uh, one of those deals. <laughs> the elephant in the room. Okay, so this is a Mountain Dew product, clear citrus flavor. Now I didn't know clear was a flavor. <laughs> well, it's it looks like water. I mean, and I hate I, to be a, a yeah, it looks like water, but you see how they've got this written though, Zach is what I'm referring to. It says clear citrus flavored dew. Yeah, yeah, I do, and and, and honestly, I think that uh, this was very quickly thrown together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the the label is such that it looks like a a old timey uh, kind of torn edges, um, like something you would get at a like a a general store out west, or like. It looks essentially looks like moonshine itself. I yeah. think that's where they get the name. I think that's what they were going for. It was supposed to be like a moonshine situation from like some sad, uh, I don't know, Tennessee village. Oh, yeah, <laughs> from that. <laughs> All right, I think we should pop this open. Let's do it. Uh, you're Look. gonna have to take both hands off the wheel. I am. This is because it's it's actually a screw top, but it looks like the taking both hands off the wheel and using a a work glove to sort of. Nuance it off. Here we go. Mm. Fun story. I recently um, got a, a glass bottle of Coca-Cola from a store near my church okay. and got back to the church and realized that it was not a twist off. Okay. So I used pliers to take the top off. Sure you did. And it broke some of the glass off. Yes, it did. And <laughs> I was like, oh, it was a tiny little piece of glass. Yeah. So I, I drank the whole thing. And when it got to the end, I realized that uh, in the little bits of, of uh, a little bit of, of coke that was left, there was a lot of broken, like kind <laughs> of pieces of glass, of glass, and there was a couple in my mouth. Wow, that's a that's a harrowing experience. I'm still alive, yeah. but who knows how torn up I am inside? Torn, how, how torn up your insides are? Everybody hurts. Yeah. Ooh. Sometimes. Yeah. Talk about the nose here, Zach, because I'm getting something. What this smells like to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is uh, Sprite, which is another soda product. Uh, it's, it, it smells a bit more like Slice to me. Do you remember Slice? Slice! I do remember Slice. Yeah. Let's have a drink. Ready? I just noticed something else on the, uh, on the label. The picture of this, this gentleman here, yeah. the like, kind of Mad Magazine, holding a, jug. holding a jug, and it says in quotes, <laughs> I'll... It, oh, I thought it said "I'll tickle your innards," which is. <laughs> which is that, different. I feel like that's borderline inappropriate, don't you? It's I it'll. Mean, in this day, it'll tickle. It'll tickle yeah, your. It'll, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't taste like much to me, Ted. No, it, what it tastes like is dirty water. Dirty, sugary water with a little fizz to it. But you know what? I'm going to go positive here. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I appreciate about this drink, Zach. Are you ready? Hmm. I appreciate the fact that it doesn't have anything gross floating around in it. And also that it doesn't taste like the worst thing in the world, like last week's drink did. I feel like uh, if this had kind of shavings of mystery substance floating around, it might be more interesting, though. Yeah, but uh, you know what? I'll take this. You'll, you'll take reliable and kind of boring over, over what am I putting in my body? What put, yeah, What's tickling my innards now? <laughs> How sick is this going to make my innards? Honestly, this is what this is what noggin should have tasted like, yeah. and and noggins should have been dew shine because that seemed like you know something mm. made in a barn that'll yeah. tickle your innards. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No. I, and ironically, Ted, just to get back to my other story, just Dakota on it, yeah. I noticed after I finished that Coke that it had a little subtitle on it that said, "I'll rip up your innards." <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll cut you. Was its slogan? 
<laughs> you know, it's kind of a. <laughs> you did buy it on the south side of, of the city, you know, kind of a, maybe an urban marketing campaign. Are we going to talk about the fact that you just went on the Rumble Strip a little I, bit? I did go on the Rumble Strip. Maybe because I'm trying to tape a radio program while I drive a, a car. And drink. And drink, yeah. Is there a gas station off this exit? <laughs> you know what, folks? There is no gas station off this exit, yeah. if you're wondering. I'm going to go up one more. Now, Ted... That's good radio. So we just cut something out that made said Ted sound like a horrible person. Mm-hmm. We agreed, we agreed uh, not to air it. You know what? Let's talk about something that... Uh, I don't know. I feel like it's going to be hopefully an encouragement to you. And, uh, well, a couple things, man. This, this show is going to be primarily about you. And I think, uh, I think, because it's my birthday. Because it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Who's the winner in the, in the Cadillac the today? The winner in the Caddy today. Zach wins. Zachy wins. So I saw something uh, when I went into your house to pick you up for this very trip. And uh, I walked into your office to, to just sit and relax as you were gathering things for the trip. And, uh, Zach, I saw a painting, and it was done on a on a canvas. It looked very kind of formally done. <laughs> and I'm gonna try I'm gonna try and use my words to describe what I saw, since this is radio, of course, and not television. But what it was was a a, a battle scene, if you will, between <laughs> <laughs> there were, there was an angel flying, kind of in a in a you know. <laughs> It sort of had that, that pose that cartoon people get when they're sort of flying through the air with like one knee up and the uh-huh. other leg like back, and then one arm forward and one arm back. Uh-huh. So there was that figure, and then there was a demon who was kind of in the, in the same pose, except coming from the other side, and I knew it was a demon because it was red, okay? <laughs> like, a, like a dark red. Like a no, man, demon. the demon is brown, but his sword is red. No, oh, okay. The demon was brown, is there... Anything you want to talk about? <laughs> so now... Yes. You, <laughs> so anyway, there was this angel and this demon. And it was clear to me, and, and you know, you're the artist, so there's the big reveal there. You're the artist. So it, it looked to me, Zach, and you speak to this, like they were about to clash in the air. Well, where were they? Were they in kind of a suburban no. environment? Oh, no, no, no. They weren't in the country. They weren't in the suburbs. They're in the city because that's where that kind of thing happens. And, and did they pick the, the kind of ultimate vista with the skyline? Of course they did. And it wasn't 3 o'clock in the afternoon. All right. It was night, high Zach. Noon, or high midnight. It was midnight. They it call that midnight. midnight, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I want to give you a little behind the scenes on that, man. Yeah, talk about that. This is something that I painted. See, I like to talk to artists about their process, and I feel like this is, this is going to go there. It's going to be that kind of interview. It, it, yeah, well, here's my process, man. Okay. At 13, yeah. I read Frank Peretti nonstop, of course. like every good church kid. Absolutely. Did you ever read Frank Peretti? I did. Yeah. What did you think of it? Um, it disappointed me at that at that age in that it wasn't about football, and that was my only problem with it. Otherwise, it was great. Yeah, there was no there was no nothing really for a, a young man in his actual life to connect to in that. Oh, absolutely nothing. I mean, if I had been a sort of older man in a city who was fighting these kind of spiritual angels versus demons battles, I feel like I would have connected it a lot more. But it, Or if not, you would have been a blonde angel with kind of a, one knee forward and yeah, one knee back. Exactly. Uh, the the angel kind of had similar hair to you now. But. Yeah, you, you kind of. Right. What I was was a 12-year-old boy 
uh, living in, a, in rural Indiana and playing a lot of sports. So, you know, for me, there wasn't a lot to, to grab onto there. Although it is a small rural town, actually it's a college town where that where the where this present artist takes place. Anyway, so I was reading that, yeah. and there was a, I was about twelve or thirteen myself. So so you were a little older then, I think, when I painted this this picture, Ted, because you're a little bit older older of a guy. Yeah, a little bit more grizzled, older man, yeah. <laughs> a little more fresh faced. Yeah. And uh, so I took my fresh face and I yeah. said uh, I was reading my Breakaway magazine. Do you remember that? Yes, of course you were. Which did have a lot of sports stuff in it. Dude, you were the you were the I know. And all the sports stuff was of the I became a Christian and then all my athletic dreams came true variety. Right. Which yeah. was a real encouragement to me until all of my athletic dreams didn't come true at all. You know what, Ted? Your problem is. And then I was plunged into a deep depression. What's my problem? You got both arms. That's true. <laughs> I remember that guy. Dave Trebecki, man. Dave Actually, that guy was spectacular he in was. that. He was incredible. I don't feel like going on YouTube and watching a video of him. He would catch the ball. Yeah. Then he would um, roll. He would roll the ball against his body while he then dropped his mitt, and then he would throw the ball with the same hand. Actually, the guy that you're referring to is Jim Abbott. I thought Dave Trebecki was the one-armed baseball guy. No, that was Jim Abbott. Dave Trebecki had something, too, though, because there were a lot of Dave Trebecki books, too. Or was he just a Christian we'll who... Have to look that up. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I had that all wrong in my mind. No, 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 no. You were, you were right, essentially, except you had the names wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, yeah. yeah you, you, you were right, except for the guy you're talking about had both his arms. Yeah, you were right, except the, the fact that, yeah, you were completely wrong about it. So anyway, to get back to this painting, which I, I really do want to talk about, yeah. yeah. No, I want to, too. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was reading a Breakaway magazine, okay. and, and uh, they were going to have an art contest. And I had been painting uh, or drawing um, angels and demons a lot lately. Okay. And I decided... Now, uh, now describe what that looked like. Like, were you kind of hunched over a desk in your room, or were you drawing these at school, or, or all the above? All the above, man, okay. yeah. Yeah, and, and I had kind of... I'd, I'd worked out the, the, the model. So, yeah. so I was drawing yeah. kind of the same guys the over same and over angel, again. angel, the same demon, if you will. In different places. You know, I, I drew them like having lunch together. You know, that kind of thing. It didn't work, yeah, right. So uh, I, I got a canvas out, painted it black, and then to make the, the, uh, all the little buildings of the skyline, I took, I took a toothpick, Ted. I, and I just dipped it over and over again in yellow paint, and I made a bunch of little windows. Folks, this is a look into the artist process. There's gas right here. We're going to get gas now in a minute. Right next to Cafe Sports. Right next to Cafe Sports. That sounds like something that I would have made up when I was... Yeah, yeah I was always disappointed when there were sports in Breakaway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so I would have probably been like, oh, yeah, I'm not the kind of guy who sits around at Cafe Sports. Right, right. All right, so we got gas. <laughs> we got gas, but I, I don't feel like we, uh, we really finished the story about the painting, so uh, continue. All right, so I um, made the, the skyline. Yeah. Then I, I did the part that I thought really made it look money, which is I... I I made the reflection of the buildings in the water. Yeah. Ooh. And then... I didn't I, notice that detail. I, I needed more time to kind of gaze at the painting, I think. Well, I think you took a picture of it, so I you can look at it later. I do that later. I, and, then I, and then I painted the, uh, the angel and demon on top. And, Ted, i got to tell you, after I did that, uh, I, I think the, the, the thing is I painted them swinging swords at each other. Yeah. And then I was like, something's missing, man. Mm -hmm. And then I just I took my thumb and kind of dragged it through the wet paint to make the the uh, trail of to, to indicate also that the swords are glowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like that. I like that. 
And then uh, I stood back and I looked at it and I said, this is freaking amazing. Freaking masterpiece. Now, did you feel that way about nearly everything that you did at that age? No. This This was the rare thing that it it turned out just like I wanted it to. That's a great feeling. I love when that happens. So you were feeling good about it and uh, and you let it sit kind of on the easel for a couple days and you just enjoyed it and then said, you know what, I'm going to send this to Breakaway. Is yeah, which involved like boxing up oh, the, yeah. and it's a, a canvas, you know, a stretched canvas on a wooden frame, so it was kind of expensive to send. I have to feel like Breakaway probably regretted having that contest. Oh, the moment they started receiving canvases at their <laughs> office that they had to then deal with, right? Well, I'll tell you what they did. About two months after the, the issue came out with the winners, yeah. which was a good six months to a year after the right. contest opened, um, I, and of course, my my painting didn't place at all. No, baby, I'm sorry. Uh, I just got it back in the mail yeah. in a different box. Was there a cover letter? Any anything with it? Like we really love your painting, or anything like that, or just nothing? No communication whatsoever. Oh. Focus on the family is you know I don't I want to say everyone there, but at least one person there is a jerk and and very insensitive to the feelings of a a 13 year old boy. Boy, you know what I feel like. They need to be held accountable for that. I feel like this is us taking them to task at some level uh, for that. So if you worked at Focus in the 1990s and are listening to this program, uh, I would like, I'd like a written apology to the Gut Check offices, uh, to my partner Zach Bartles, uh, who worked really hard on uh, the angel versus demon flying in front of the city painting. And uh, I know you remember it. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would like you to make this right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you then the, the rest of the story is. Okay. Oh, I, I was kind of sad when I got it back. Yeah. Um, and I, and I kind of just sadly put it in a box in the basement. Okay. Uh, fast forward, let's see, 25 years. <laughs> 25 years, okay. And I'm speaking at a writing conference in Grand Rapids. and I, I, the, one, the one that I was at? Uh, no, it was a jot, jot writing conference. Yeah. It was a one-day yeah. thing, a really cool thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I uh, go to pick up my son because my parents are watching my son. Yeah. And lo and behold, waiting for me there oh. is the painting. There it is. And somehow, Ted, in the inter- dad getting it out. They were beaming with pride, weren't they? Uh, well, what it was, it's, it's kind of an ongoing process. Ever since I, I bought a house, uh, my wife and I bought a house 10 years ago, <laughs> which is you have a basement now, yes. so your crap doesn't belong in our basement. Uh, I, I get it, yep. So basically every time we see them, there's, there's uh, here's a little bit more crap that's yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and the odd thing is that in the intervening two and a half decades, yep. Ted, um, the painting had gone from being really awesome to <laughs> comically bad. <laughs> You know what? That's one of those things that happens, and and I've got to tell you, as, as I was looking at the painting today, I, I laughed a little bit, and, and I was trying. You to, laughed a lot, actually. I, I laughed a lot, and I was trying to articulate this to your wife, and it, it wasn't so much that I was laughing at at you or at the painting. It was more just there. There was something funny about the the fact that it was on a canvas. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it was legitimate. That very thing was like stretched over a little canvas and kind of it, it, at some level legitimized by the canvas. You know what I mean? Like you could see it in a gallery because it was a canvas. Gallery. I could see it in like Manhattan, you know, like an opening. Well, and, and, and obviously it is. It's Manhattan itself. It's so. Manhattan itself in Manhattan. It could be in Manhattan as meta. a thing. Yeah, meta. Of a, yeah, meta. Right. Oh, man. Well, I think... Uh, 
I, I kind of threw this out there this morning, half in jest, but uh, I would like to have a, a gut check painting contest um, in which we go through all the gymnastics of having people send canvases. And Why could you just have them like scan their paintings and send no, them to but us? You know what? I, I want to I see the actual <laughs> canvas. I, I want the depth and the, and the richness and the texture that I got to experience this morning when I looked at your painting. And we have such luck when we ask people to send things to us. Yes, yeah. People just, things have come pouring in. Oh, wait, they haven't. Well, who, who do you anticipate would win the contest? You know, I've got to think. I've got to think. Your angels and demons painting would be a front runner. Because what we would do is we would allow uh, management and ownership, ownership to, to also make a decision. Enter. Yeah, yeah. Just like a focus, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it was like, you know, Dobson or whoever just kind of uh, deciding who the who the winner was. I, I'm sure he had all those canvases in his office, and he was just sort of pouring over them, you know, for weeks uh, before he made the decision. I used to be able to do a, a dead on. Uh, James Dobson impression, and I just lost it at some point. I would love for him to read the tweet, though. Oh, my goodness. That'd be incredible. The way to get the, the James Dobson impression going, like, you know how you have, with, with impressionists, um, you I've... You have a little inspiration. You, you have, like, a phrase that you say. I, I'm, not, I'm not an impressionist. I'm bad at it, but I've watched some YouTube videos about it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they, you know, like, like uh, with walking, you have to have a few things, like... Yeah. Uh, like uh, Do a little walking. To catch a mouse. Yeah. You gotta think. Like a mouse. Anticipate the moves, and a boom, you cut a mouse. But but with with James Dobson, when I actually could do a decent James Dobson impression yeah. in college, yeah. I would always say puberty, puberty. Oh, is that that's how he said it? He said, and he says it all the time. That's all he says. That's really weird. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those things where you have someone who says a particular word or phrase a lot, and they in say it weird, way. and you yeah. know that they're doing it on purpose to like stand out somehow. I feel like it became a part of his brand, you know, and he just ran with it. They actually trademarked puberty. All right. Yeah. But but uh, that would be great if it... Actually, it would be even better if we could get the real James Dobson to read the, the Rachel Held Evans tweet. Maybe we could. Yeah, let's work on that. I want to talk about uh, something else. Uh, because it was your birthday, I assume this was a birthday gift, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. There is uh, on the dashboard, and I'm going to describe it because Hans, Bubby, this is radio, not television. Um, what we have on the dash is... Uh, what do you call that, Zach? It's a, it's a leather... Kind of attached. It's not leather, buddy. Really? Imitation leather. Okay. Um, you had a word for it, though, and it had the word executive in it. I want you to speak to that. What that is, is the, and it was a, it was a Christmas gift, Ted, to myself. That's what, that's what we're dealing wait, with. Wait, wait, Christmas or birthday? I mean, birthday. It was a okay. birthday gift to myself. Okay. Um, and and it's, it's the Palm Medium okay. Executive Case. Ooh. Now, you, Palm as a company is no longer correct, so this... This had to be found. This kind of had to be searched for online, correct? Actually, Palm's, Palm's about to make a comeback. Okay. Mynewpalm.com is out now, and they're going to be coming out. They're going to be coming back, and I'm okay. going to be sitting pretty. Absolutely. But you are. at this point, you got the tungsten. Palm has been sold uh, first to U.S. Robotics, then to HP, and HP just kind of dissolved it. So it's and a set. <clears throat> and then to LaHaye Armaments, actually. <laughs> yeah, which is which actually produces two thirds of military grade uh, plutonium. And all of the Ted Strongbow jerseys in, uh, in circulation currently. That's a reference, folks, to our uh, sensational new novel, Re, colon, Raptured, uh, which is a dispensational thriller in the vein of Left Behind. So uh, if you haven't yet bought and read and five-starred Re, Raptured, uh, pause this, go and do that post-haste, and, uh, and then come back to the program. We'll give you a second to do that. Okay, so you're older now, um, but... What am I saying? Oh, right, the this thing, the uh, the palm case, 
had room in it for a got a half size pad of paper. Okay. Yeah, an, ex- an executive size pad. And I went to Staples, and they had two different kinds of, of pads of paper, and one of them was so called, weird. wait for it, the executive okay. uh, pad. Yeah, so, yeah, so I bought yeah. Now, this didn't come with its own pad of paper. You had to, you had to supply the, the, the pad. Right, and it was original retail price, Ted, $60. Ooh. I got it for 11 Ooh, baby. Yeah, I know. Nice job. Yeah, I, well, you know, and that, that gives a little shiver up my, my Dutch spine. That's why you're a successful uh, business executive here with Gutcheck. I feel like it's those kind of cagey business purchases that, uh, you know, that, that make us the great company that we are. But, Ted, what was a little bit uh, disappointing to me is that there wasn't actually a spot for my, my cell phone in, so, in the case. Now, now I've got to admit, when I, when I had a look around the case this morning, and, and folks, we've had some briefcase-related dramas on this program before. If you've been with the show... Uh, since the beginning, you'll know that Zach has tried to retrofit lots of different cases with different uh, kind of lashed, elastic-based, you know, organizational uh, items, and it hasn't gone so well. Well, I don't know. I, I still use that still use item. That? I'll what? tell you what, man. I really have a passion for attaching things to other things and then enclosing them in yet other things. Dude, you do. I, I've noticed that passion, and and yet... And now, <clears throat> don't take this as a criticism, okay? This is just me being honest. Whenever I go over to your house, and whenever we have to leave your house for anywhere, there's still like 20 minutes of you kind of walking around <laughs> trying to find everything. Now, yeah. there seems to be a little bit of a disconnect between this passion for lashing things down and actually being able to find the things. N- the, right the passion for lashing things down is not so that they're readily, uh, you know, at my fingertips at home. It's so that while we're on the road, yeah, yeah. I, I have everything... Um, close at hand. Yeah. So talk about, I, I thought what you did with the phone uh, in the executive case was just brilliant because when, when this case was made, no doubt uh, phones were, were big and bulky and there wasn't the maybe the occasion to, to slip a cell phone into your executive case. Um, so <laughs> talk about what you did. I think this is brilliant to, uh, to, to make your phone slide in there. Well, there's a little flap in there for uh, business, cards. business cards, credit cards, etc. Uh, where, where it's got like a number of them in a row, and you could slide. I think it's for credit cards and IDs and stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, making it a full-on man purse. Yeah. Uh, and what I did is on the very, the the very last, the bottom one of those those uh, little slots, yep. I slid in a, a uh, spent Speedway gas stations gift card. Okay. Nice. Into which I had cut a couple little notches on the side. You know, nothing says executive like a cut-up Speedway <laughs> rewards card. Well, the best part about it, Ted, is that it, th- I used my... I have a pick punch, which you, yeah. you, you use like old gift cards or credit cards yeah. to make guitar picks. Okay. And I had already done that once with this Speedway card, okay. so there's like a missing spot so in it, too. It was already cut up. It was yeah. already compromised. So I cut yeah. it up some more. So, okay. And then I, I wrapped a, one of those thick rubber bands around it okay. a few times, yep. and now I just, <laughs> I just slide my cell phone up inside oh, that rubber band. I love it. I love it, man. That was, and you know, it was worth it. It was worth all that because I, I saw it and it looks like it was made for that executive case. Now, again, just being honest, and this is a question, um, what, do you, what do you set as the over-under on number of days before that case gets left in a restaurant or uh, some other <laughs> establishment with all your stuff in it? Um, that's never gonna. That's never gonna happen. That's never gonna happen, man. Maybe it'll happen at the lunch place. When's the last time I left something behind at a restaurant? <laughs> you know, I think it was about a year ago, and it was uh, half of your gun. 
<laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about, actually. Uh, but but uh, I, I've, I've left uh, my Palm Pilot behind a lot of times. Yeah. Oddly, no one ever steals it. They always have it behind the counter. Yeah. You know, and, and the Palm Pilot, it, it's a niche of a niche of a niche, you know? Being a, a Palm Pilot enthusiast, I think. so. Part of the, the draw of the executive case, though, is it's so giant that you couldn't forget it, you know? Yeah, it is. It's, it's noticeable, for sure. Oh, and there's slots for SD cards. Oh, look at that. And so I've got... Here's what I've got with me, man, in my slots. Yeah. <laughs> I've got uh, Britannica Concise Encyclopedia. Oh, good. Yeah, because you might need that when you're out and about. I've got Webster's Dictionary and Franklin Thesaurus. Now, tell me, because I'm not familiar with the product. Now, that... that card just goes into the palm and then you can access yeah. those things on right on your palm yeah almost like i don't know it's I, I, almost like some people just press a couple of buttons on their phone and all that's already there right but yeah. you know what ted i could be underground in a cave or yeah. or or like way out in like uh, rural tennessee or something okay. with no cell phone towers <laughs> okay. and guess what boom i can still use my my cards yeah i i get it dude it's still better to turk like objectifying Hold on, I think I'm reading the buzz. Okay, we're back. We're back now on the road. On this, the road. This time it's raining, Ted, so let's try to stay off the rumble strips. Baby, that reminds me of a great novel called On the Road <laughs> that I saw someone reading today. Now, we were just at uh, Timothy's Fine Tobaccos. We were. And uh, there, we actually began a new gut check project. Yes, this is huge uh, for our company. We both, I think we're wondering what the next project was going to be when you do these these books, Zach, there's always a lot of pressure, you know, to for the, the next book to live up to the book that you just did. And, I mean, after all the excitement and all the adulation and all the glamour kind of in the in the wake of Re-Raptured um, and Mega, really, we wondered what the next book was going to be. So uh, why don't you tell the, the listeners a little bit about uh, conceptually what we're thinking for the next book? I feel like it's something timely, you know? And, and not only is it timely and, and relevant right now, it's a spinoff. Yeah, it really is. It's a spinoff because it was referenced in the book Re-Raptured. We had a character named Lewis Ironsides. He was a... Who was conceived of by uh, Brad Atchison. Biatch, our man Biatch, the original lieutenant in the Gutcheck Army. And uh, so we wrote this Lewis Ironsides character as kind of a, a super high-control, reformed father. And in the book, he had a book entitled what, Zach? Tell us the title. It was called Exactly How to Look and Exactly What to Say if You Want to Marry My Daughter Carol Ann. I love it. And it, it's kind of... Uh, in this subgenre of controlling father lit, which is like a real thing now, right? It's like the book about, you know, integrity and like the hundred questions that you have to ask a prospective, you know, guy who wants to court your daughter and that sort of thing. So we thought naturally that it was time for Gutcheck to uh, to write this book as Lewis Ironsides. And uh, of course, he was planning a sequel in Reraptured called How to Arrange Your Daughter Carol Ann's Marriage Without Looking Like You're Trying to Arrange Her Marriage. Yeah, that's beautiful. And th this book will kind of be, uh, I think, like a, a pastiche, if you will, of the two, in that, uh, in that we'll, we'll kind of have concepts from both books uh, in one book. So we're getting on the Zilwaukee Bridge right now. Um, so I'm a little nervous um, because of the rumble strip thing earlier. And, uh, <laughs> I'm right here in the middle lane. All right, man. My hands are at 10 and 2. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the how to... How to uh, What's to say if you want to marry my daughter, Carol Ann? Uh, should I read a little of these table of contents? Sure, that you yeah, because we, we kind of fleshed out the outline of the book. So why don't you give them a little, uh, a little taste, if you will, of, of what's to, to come here in this book. 
And this is what uh, Lewis Ironsides, meaning Ted, came up with for a, a starter table of contents. Um, and this, I can see this easily fleshing itself out rather quickly. Uh, number one, why this book? Number two, integrity. What it means and why you must have as much integrity as me, but not more because that would be impossible. <laughs> Three. Isn't that kind of the ethos of these guys, though, that write these, like, integrity books? Like, they invented integrity. You know well, what I mean? Yeah, because everyone knows it's kind of unhealthy to say to your, your little girl, you'll never find a man who loves you as much as me and will treat you as good Which as me. That's exactly what these guys really want to say, though, when they write these books. So the book is a way to make money, have fun and make money at the same time. Exactly, yeah. So uh, three is, what's his net worth? Spiritually, but also in terms of money. <laughs> I like how forthcoming uh, Ironsides is. He seems to me like a really straight shooter, you know? Speaking of straight shooters, didn't Ironside once get uh, shot by dozens of rounds of military-grade M16 ammunition? Yes, he was on a light stanchion uh, in a professional football stadium, and he was addled with gunfire uh, before plunging, what, 50, 60 feet to the ground. Uh, but he was fine. Yeah, he's, he's okay, don't Spoiler worry. alert, he was fine. He's actually resting comfortably at a... Uh, Holiday Inn Express in, uh, in Denver. <laughs> uh, number four, does he have to be a five-point amillennial cessationist pedobaptist to marry my daughter? Spoil alert, yes, he does. <laughs> Just, uh, theology is important to, to Ironsides. I like that. Number five, a liberal arts degree? Really? <laughs> number six, Carol Ann. <laughs> number six... Carol Ann, the thing is that you're really there's really no way he can care for you as well as me, in the sense that once you've lived under the roof of the most thoughtful, theologically astute, sensitive, and communicative man alive, everything else will seem disappointing. Also, I'm your father and I said so. I like how uh, he considers himself the most sensitive and communicative man alive, but the only time he ever did anything touching, it, it was uh, he, he bought his daughter a bride's magazine on the morning of the wedding that he arranged for her so that she'll be more exciting about her wedding, which is today. And he cut out all the articles about sex, so it ended up being like the length of a pamphlet. Yeah, when really, I've seen some of those magazines, at least back uh, when I, I got engaged about uh, 17 years ago. They so this is like 20 pounds. Yeah, and they're, they're all, they're like enough, Glossy. they're like nine trees. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're like the kind of paper that your college prints its overblown <laughs> alumni magazine on. You know what I mean? Only instead of everybody being like sitting on the ground in autumn in the leaves, yeah, yeah. it's like everybody is in ridiculous dresses and sitting on the ground in autumn in leaves in a four thousand dollar dress. Number seven roles in marriage. Number eight, but can he shoot an apple off a tree stump at one hundred yards? Because I can. Number nine, I own six tractors and raise my own livestock. What have you ever done? And I mean that in the nicest way possible. I feel like Ironsides kind of feels like he has to prove himself a little bit to this guy. Is that the vibe that you're getting? Yeah, it's getting increasingly standoffish here. It is, yeah. I feel like the answer is going to be no. Number 10, the value of a firm handshake. And number 11, what does your father do for a living? Not that it matters. I'm just curious in that I'll use it to judge you as a future son-in-law. Again, very straightforward, you know. What you see is what you get with Lewis Ironsides. You know, I want to I want to take a little uh, a moment to make an observation about the executive case that you and I have talked about yeah. as the day has progressed. Ad nauseum, yeah. And that is that even though it hasn't been through any kind of harsh conditions or or anything, the the executive case is looking a little the worse for wear. It's looking really weathered, which is hard to believe given that you paid eleven dollars for it and got it from China. 
it, it's kind of full of these inexplicable like like holes and pock marks, and it's kind of dappled and, and yeah. damaged. We were saying earlier it looked a little like Bill Murray's face. Yeah, a little bit. It gives it, yeah, just sort of a a worn in look. It adds character though. Is it what really, it does. Uh, it has a lot of character. It's like you've taken it in and out of a lot of executive boardrooms. <laughs> There's always a lot of like gravel and, and yeah. stuff that might damage things right. in executive. Like it's been driven over and ground into the earth. <laughs> and you know what we also wanted to talk about today is uh, is this movie we watched last night. Yeah, dude, we watched a uh, an incredibly bad movie last night, and it occurred to us if you if you listen to our episode on uh, Karate Kid Three, which we said was the worst movie ever. To date, that was the worst movie we'd ever seen. I think though, uh, last night's movie surpassed it in terms of just sheer ineptitude, awfulness, depressingness. Uh, speak to that. Here's the thing. We got the movie as a joke uh, because we had looked up on IMDb this this gentleman named uh, Thomas Ian... What is it? Griffith. Thomas, Thomas Ian Griffith, Griffith who, who played, played... Terry Silver. Yeah. Terry Silver in Karate Kid 3. And we found that he was in like this crappy straight-to-video 1991 film called Ulterior Motives. Ulterior Motives. It was an action movie, Zach. And how did how did the uh, the back cover copy bill him as the next? Actually, this was like right on the, this is at the top of the front, man. Okay. Oh. It said real big. This is how they were starting to sell a movie. You've seen Van Damme and you've seen Seagal. Now see the new contender. Oh, the new contender. He was a very brief contender. Yeah, very very brief, in that he never really contended, yeah. contended for anything. <laughs> um, so your wife acquired this movie um, when she kind of discovered our, our yen for sad 90s action movies. And, uh, and we watched it last night. And boy, where, where to begin with this thing, Zach? I want to start with uh, who was really the protagonist of the film? You know, it's really hard to say in that I think you hated every character equally for, uh, A, their lack of acting ability, uh-huh. and B, their complete lack of having to do anything with the story or having, story. having any point for existence at all. I think... Those are the two things that, for me, made it hard to kind of connect with any of these characters. I kind of resented all the characters for stealing some of my life that I can't have back. I really resented all of the characters for being on the screen and talking. (laughs) Other than that, they were great. I'm going to go ahead and just say... No one's ever going to see this movie, so it doesn't matter if we we drop some spoilers. Yeah. Uh, What happens is it starts out with... um, I'm just going to call him Terry Silver, because that's who he is in my mind. He's always Terry Silver. And uh, Terry Silver is a, um, a PI. Yeah, private investigator. And uh, his off... Private op- dick, as it were. Just, that's a thing that people used <laughs> to say. Private yeah. dick. Talk, talk a bit about uh, his, his office space. Well, <laughs> what's funny about his office, Zach, is that... Um, well, let me just... Uh, let me set the scene for the, for the listeners. So uh, there's a, a woman, kind of a vulnerable female character. She walks into a kind of standard-issue sushi restaurant... And she walks by a booth, seated at which is Terry Silver. And he cleverly says, you know, sort of tosses off this line kind of uh, boyishly. He says, welcome to my office. But then... You think he's just being coy and funny. He's being coy, he's being funny, he's being like, ha ha, this is how, you know, I connect with you initially. But Because we're actually meeting at a restaurant. And and like you'd say to a gentleman, come into my office. Yeah, Yeah, like the kind of the way that you say that. And then the camera pans back to reveal that... (laughs) Inexplicably, this really is his office in that there's a phone kind of wired into the booth. There's, there's like the desktop things there's that the you desktop have. desktop things like a Rolodex and some paper. 
indicating that it really was his place of business. And he said, uh, the rent is reasonable or something like yeah, that. Yeah, which to me, like, you know, from a flirtation standpoint, really isn't the way to get off on the right foot, <laughs> I don't think. And, and, and the other thing is, like, if, if that was a, a naked gun movie yeah. and someone said, hey, step into my office, then they and did it, the it reveal. Would back to, it would be so funny. That would be a great joke. But it wasn't supposed to be funny. Yes, that's, and there's the rub. And so this guy turns, you know, he's, he's helping this, this lady works for the New York Times, mm. and uh, she does a lot of uh, kind of... Like freelance uh, work, because she's on the West Coast. She does a lot of word processing. Yeah. Uh, so she writes her articles via Vax, it looks like. Yeah, Vax, which, you know, for our company, that plays a, a huge role in the Chaz Marriott narrative, so we enjoyed seeing that. And of course, Terry Silver is the face of Chaz Marriott, so it all comes together. Yeah, yeah, it's really a lot of synergy there for our company. But uh, this guy is, is helping her, and she's involved in like some kind of plot. And what happens is, halfway through the movie, suddenly you realize that uh, Terry Silver is actually a bad guy. Well, Zach, he has what I like to call ulterior motives. <laughs> and, uh, and we find out he's that's a bad the guy. The movie. I, I'm not that clever. <laughs> <laughs> we find out he's a bad guy when, when he tries to kill her yeah. <laughs> by <laughs> throwing her off a building. Yeah, so they're they're on top of a building. They're having a romantic interlude, which we decided eating on the top of a building was a very nineties thing very to 1990s do. Nineteen nineties thing. You bring like the the tablecloth, and you have the shimmering lights of the city below. So they're on top of the building, like not like safely on top of the building though. They're they're perched like right on the edge, like a gust of wind, and he like wouldn't have had to bother. Wind, yeah, right. Would have would have knocked her off the building. So there they are, and he sort of moves toward throwing her off the building. And then in a fit of, I guess, conscience? or Someone else came up on the roof. Oh, yeah. Somebody else came up on the roof. So he kind of grabs her. And inexplicably, this turned her on. And they went downstairs and made love. That, that happened. Yeah, um, I don't understand that, though. Well, you know, you, <laughs> how arrogant of you to think you even could understand Terry Silver and what's going on in his ulterior motives. What's going motives. on romantically and seductively in terms of what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah. So he goes back to his house, which well, no, he goes he goes to the, the like the heavy the bad guy's yeah, house, yeah. and we recognized that house a little bit, Ted. Yeah, we did because exterior wise, that was the exact same house that uh, that he lived in when he was a uh, plutonium mogul in Karate Kid Three. <laughs> in that it was a, it was a really kind of mod uh, square, you know, very clean lines architecturally, except that there was a standard issue kind of neighborhood era nineteen eighties. <laughs> TV antenna, so that he could watch six, eight, and thirteen without any fuzz. You know what I mean? He could get Fox if the he weather could, was right. He could get Fox if the way. Yeah, ABC, NBC, CBS. You know, and, and if there's no thunderstorms, he could get Fox just like a little bit. You know. And now the movie ended um, a little darkly. Yeah. Uh, he was supposed to kill this woman, yeah. and uh, and somehow he made the bad guy think he'd killed her, but he hadn't. Right. And what? The way that he did that, this is really dark, I feel strange even talking about it, is that he, he, he has a buddy who worked at a morgue, and this, this guy was like the least professional morgue guy in the history of morgue guys. And they're known for their professionalism. It, yeah, and then he just sort of checked out like dead bodies, and he just sort of like swiped them out, and, and murder <laughs> weapons, uh, whatever he felt like it, like willy-nilly, this guy, you know? <laughs> So and corpses, yeah, and corpses. So yeah, here, here's a here's bodies. a corpse, yeah. and you don't have to return it in working order. No, you don't have to return it because like there's no accountability apparently in that morgue. <laughs> you know. And so he checked out a, 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 both a sword and a, a and woman a, and a lady, yeah, who looked a lot like the protagonist. Right. And and then he cut her to pieces, 
Yes. And, and you don't see this happening on screen. You just see him like completely covered in coated blood. in blood, which yeah. he later revealed was pig's blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, and then it, at which point she was like, "Oh, in that case, <laughs> it's okay then." NBD. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then, even though he had he had decided not to kill her, uh, they wind up in a Mexican standoff. Yeah, and that's if you're not familiar with the term Mexican standoff, which sounds on PC. It's where a bunch of people have guns pointed at each other. The the most boring and and kind of draggy uh, dragging on kind of Mexican standoff I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It took what what typically is a really exciting moment in a movie, the Mexican standoff, and rendered it completely meaningless. There was a, a number of times where, where characters mentioned that their arm was getting sore from yeah. holding the gun. Yeah, their delts, like their shoulders were hurting. Like, if I'm not dead, I'm going to be really sore tomorrow from this kind of thing. <laughs> and it ended with a freeze frame, with him him walking off, and, and you're like, oh, well, what's going to happen next? And then it, the, the credits roll. I hope I get to do that in my life at some point. Like, walk into a sunset and then, like, just, just freeze. have someone freeze that moment, you know? You can, you can just freeze. You As can I choose. walk away sexily, you know? <laughs> Terry Silver had kind of a greasy ponytail going on. Yeah. Uh, we decided that what happened is he just had that, he just cut that off, but left everything else. Yeah, so that it like swooped down into like almost a ponytail, but it was just almost a mullet. That's what I, we used to call kind of a ducktail. A ducktail, sure. But it was still greasy. Zach, what were some of the other motifs in the, in the film? I feel like there were some things that repeatedly came up. Let's see here. Well, you had a lot of big glasses. Yeah, big, uh, big kind of early 90s glasses. I feel like I noticed a lot of men straightening their ties. Oh, like yeah. Something would happen, and like kind of the stock reaction was to sort of immediately reach for the tie and straighten it. Like, hey, I just saw someone get addled with gunfire. I'm, I want to make sure my tie's straight for that. You know. <laughs> well, that just shows how like kind of nonchalant they were about it. I just addled someone with gunfire. Also, and see, my, and my shit. response to it is just to straighten my tie a bit. And then there was a scene in which Terry Silver killed a guy uh, by grabbing him. Jumping off a balcony, landing in a pool, yeah. and then pulling the guy underwater in the pool and tying his tie to the ladder that you'd use to get out of the pool. It was a necktie motif, which begs the question, why didn't the guy just like undo his tie like at the Windsor knot? You know? Like, <laughs> I guess because it was wet, it got tight. I guess I, it got tight. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. Uh, we decided that the, the guy, Terry Silver, came out of the pool, and the guy was still kind of flopping and flailing and stuff. Yeah. Um, and we decided that guy wasn't trying to get free. He was just... Straightening his tie over and over again, which yeah. was his response. Yeah, exactly. When I die, I want my tie to be straight. You know, type of thing. That, that was a, It was a bad movie. Which it was an awful movie. This means that Thomas Ian Griffith is in the two worst movies ever made. Ever made? Yeah, yeah. Quite a distinction. Do you think there's any chance he would listen to this? I'd like to think so. I, I, I hope that he's not getting like his high-powered attorneys from Karate Kid 3 drafting letters yeah, about yeah. using his image as the face of Chaz Marriott. Letters on his... which he's signing while he's in his sink, you know. Right. Or, or that yeah. he just quickly signs when, he, yeah, when he's, beat up, he's beat up a guy and he's still wearing like the gi. <laughs> the gi. Baby, do we want to go to Halo Burger here and get a little Let's, let's do it, yeah. And, and the other thing with, uh, with uh, this movie is there was, there was a lot of scenes that just didn't make any sense at all. Yeah, like the one where he was like in complete medieval like body armor and like yeah. stick fighting with somebody, and then he took his helmet off and he looked at her like like what are, I don't even know you kind of thing. <laughs> you know the other motif along with yeah. the the tie straightening was the 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 motif of showing people walking places. Yes, yeah, like you know how typically in a movie, like someone will walk from the nightclub out to their car and they just kind of cut from the person getting up from the table and then. 
they cut to the person entering their car because who wants to see them like take take the twenty minute walk like and, and you know get their car? But in this movie, um, it showed all that walking. But in this flick too, like every step, you're you're straightening your tie. Yeah. Step tie straighten step, which means it takes like an hour and a half to get anywhere in this movie by foot. And even though the runtime said ninety one minutes. And like it you're felt like 91 hours. It did. It was a long. So if you can, and, and here's the thing: you can't really get a hold of this movie unless you buy it from England. Yeah, and I think we bought the last copy. Yeah, I my, think they printed five of them. My, my wife actually got her money back because she's like, "Oh, we're not going to be able to watch it. It's going to be the wrong region DVD." Yeah. They gave her money back, but they sent her the DVD anyway. Mm, that's a lot of integrity in that business. I think he just wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. He's like, "I want this thing out of my house." And the thing He's is. Sad. The, the 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 film itself said copyright 1991, but the case and the packaging was all copyright 2002. So it didn't get its distribution deal until a good like decade plus later, which means somebody worked really hard to get that thing distro. <laughs> and and that was which really begs the question: Why did they do that? Do you think in 2002 Thomas Ian Griffith was like, "All right, things are starting to pick yeah, up yeah, again. Things are hopping, man. I, we're getting a milkshake now." Okay. This you is can, what it sounds like for us to... You can watch us walk, you can listen to us walk all the way in. <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep it running while we walk in. Ted, I want to play a little uh, clip from Ulterior Motives. Okay. Uh, do you want to set this up? Yeah, which clip is this, Zach? That's what I was hoping you would determine by setting it up. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're going to have a look at, uh, at a scene where Terry Silver and his love interest are in the kitchen. And they're doing some cooking... And they're just talking normally as, as a man and a woman would. <laughs> until a moment where Terry Silver inexplicably yells at her to shut up. And grabs her kind of harshly by the, by the arm, by the upper arm. I feel like that is a, a mark of many B-movies. Where they like try and like ramp up the drama and the, the intensity by just having people shout at each other for, for veritably no reason. See, I feel like there was so much intensity in Terry Silver's acting in that scene. Boy, I really... I really felt like he was grabbing me by the upper arm and telling me to shut up. You know I, I, mean? I get chills when I think about it. I really feel like he heard us making fun of him, and he told he said to shut up because of that. Oh, he wasn't talking to her. He was talking yeah, to us. My own sense of guilt talking. But <laughs> at any rate, that's the scene. So this is ulterior motives. Enjoy. I was the cause of that man's death. What are you talking about? I'm responsible. I wrote that story. What were you supposed to do? Forget about it? Just let him go? No, I could have talked to him first. He could have had an explanation. The fact that he committed suicide tells you he was guilty. How can you say that? Who knows what the Japanese... Maybe it was the fear of disgrace. Erica, he got caught and took the easy way out. No matter how you justify it or I justify it, the fact of the matter is I am responsible for another man's death. Shut up! I'm sorry. I just don't like to see someone beat themselves up for no reason. Hey, folks, thanks again for listening to the Gut Check podcast. Uh, again, uh, go to gutcheckpress.com, sign up for the Gut Check Army, uh, send us your stuff to get on the show, and we'll see you next time.